Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dustin. Today we are going to be discussing The Last Jedi. Uh, let's see, Sunday, a couple days after it came out? Yeah. Yep. Is that worth mentioning? When it's having the second biggest opening weekend of all time. Because that matters. I just felt like it was worth mentioning. Oh, okay. After what? The Force Awakens. Hey, this is good spoiler-free discussion. Yes, we're doing spoiler-free discussion for just a minute. We've got a couple of quick things before we go into Spoiler Town. Spoiler City, sorry. Um, so, okay, somebody asked me about the numbers money-wise for the openings, and I got confused because of our recent text conversation about top-grossing movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be why I'm so mixed up on those numbers. I think I was mixing up top openings and top grossing total. Oh, like overall yeah, that makes sense. box office, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it does have the biggest opening. Anyway, I guess Avatar is still at the top. That's the, yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That is an item of follow-up because we talked about the Neil deGrasse Tyson book and how he mentioned a movie that we couldn't figure out. It was Avatar. Yes. And I read another book that talked about The Force Awakens making the most money, and maybe it was just talking about the openings. So, anyway. Before we get to the movie, we wanted to mention one major news item. Bum, bum, bum. And that's that in a worrying move of monopolistic overtake, Disney has absorbed a majority of Fox's entertainment properties, which among is in most situations probably a bad thing because you're heading towards fewer entertainment providers which will inevitably not be a good thing but in the short term where we don't think about all those things it does mean that disney which owns marvel is reabsorbing many of the um marvel properties that had previously been sold to fox so in theory this opens up the x-men and fantastic four being able to join the MCU at some point, which is good. And now the only things that Marvel doesn't have complete control over, doesn't, isn't able to put into their movies in some way are all the Spider-Man villains and She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Wait, who has She-Hulk? Universal. Apparently (laughs) it's one of those weird, like overlap areas where universal could do a a Hulk movie with all the Hulk people. Marvel could do a Hulk movie with all the Hulk people, but they can't use She-Hulk. Universal still has has rights just to her. Why? I don't know, because they're idiots. Have they ever done anything with that? Nope. Probably won't. That's so weird. Isn't She-Hulk a way better character than regular, less than Fantastic Hulk? She without hyperbole is at least three or four times better than the Hulk. (laughs) She doesn't go crazy when she's, she's the, she's big and gamma irradiated most of the time. And she still holds down a stable job as a defense lawyer for people, which is nice. Uh, Nice. I think the Fox X-Men universe has kind of played out at this point. Like it feels like they've kind of wrapped that all up. They have a, I know there's still another one coming out soon, but it feels like it's all kind of wrapped up at this point. So I would be very much open to the X-Men getting rebooted into the MCU. Is the new one X-Men second class? <laughs> it's the 
Phoenix Rising, they're doing a real Dark Phoenix story this time. Hmm. Well, it remains to be seen if they do it well. In that they 100% completely botched what it. Are the, what's the over-under on that? <laughs> um, it's... As far as I know, they're actually trying to do a cosmic Phoenixy type thing. Oh, like a Phoenix Force? Yeah, like they're actually trying to do that. But again, that's just what I heard, and we'll see how it actually works out. Okay. The other implication that is of interest with this Fox thing is that Fox owns the distribution rights to A New Hope in perpetuity. I think the distribution rights for the other five movies of the original and prequel trilogies have already gone over to Disney because in the iTunes version of the movies, the fanfare only plays on a new hope. So, um, yeah, I think those have gone over, but like I said, in perpetuity for a new hope. Um, so there are, there's some speculation as to whether that opens the door to a proper theatrical version being released for home video instead of all this special edition stuff. Please God. I just, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. There's, I mean, there's speculation about whether it's even possible because uh, George Lucas had said that the original version doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. Um, just because of the process of making the special edition. Oh, geez. Um, I've also seen it pointed out that there actually isn't one original theatrical version. There's, I think three different versions. There are much smaller differences than the difference from any one of those to the special edition. But, um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, it's really hard to speculate about that. I've heard that it could happen, that it couldn't happen, that it might happen, that people hope it will happen. But I don't know if the distribution rights even make a difference in that because it seems like Lucasfilm could probably make the call on that and just pay Fox whatever they wanted anyway. But, you know, it's a thing that changed, so maybe maybe it means something. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fin fact. There's a fin in this movie. Not my favorite fin fact ever. Nor mine. I'm glad it wasn't a fun fin fact, because it wasn't particularly fun. Were you... Dustin, were you actually wondering if he was alive at the end of The Force Awakens? I thought he was dead. Um, and I was kind of, I was okay with that. Like, and that kind of in, indicates that he's not a good character or not well done if he's through the whole movie and he dies in the end. And I'm just like, eh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I saw him in the preview, the, like the very first couple trailers, and I yeah, that's right. got sad. Okay. I think they do say at the end of The Force Awakens that he's not dead, but mm. I, I mean, it could. I think it's fleeting. Um, okay, so we had talked in the past about possibly doing a retrospective on The Force Awakens. Is it fair to say that we're not really going to need to do that because our understanding of The Last Jedi will largely be a referendum on The Force Awakens? Yes. Probably. Regardless of how it plays out? Yes. Okay. And with that, are we ready for spoilers? Yeah. Okay. I'd, I have no spoiler-free discussion of this movie. Okay. Oh, wait. I did have one other point that I think we moved on quickly from with the uh, Fox 
um, <laughs> okay. merger, which was this includes all the villains as well that had not that people had been wanting to see. So in it, you're going to be able to see like Galactus or Doctor Doom back in the MCU, which if they don't jump on, I would be surprised at some point. But anyway, I just felt like that was worth mentioning as well. What about Dr. Iron Doom, man? I would assume that's also on the table. <laughs> but they'd have to build up to it, which I don't know if they'll have time to do in, like, that'd take, like, 10 years of movies. Well, they can. that can be their plan for whenever Robert Downey Jr. ages out of the role. It's possible. Is that a euphemism for him dying? <laughs> Maybe. No, then they'll just reanimate his skeleton with a goatee on it to be... (laughs) Oh, oh, (laughs) this reminds me of another very tiny follow-up point that I'll make very brief. The Amazon Lord of the Rings show. I have seen it said both that it is definitely going to be Lord of the Rings, not something else. (laughs) I've also seen it written that it's going to take place before Lord of the Rings. So not Lord of the Rings. So who knows what it's actually going to (laughs) be. I don't think it'll be before enough to be Silmarillion. Um, but I think it's going to be more directly linked, possibly not even anything from a book. They might try writing original game of Thrones stuff, Hobbit hijinks or something. I, who knows? Um, so that's another thing to worry about. And, uh, Ian McKellen has stated that he wishes to reprise his role as Gandalf. Oh, and he said, he's aging backward. (laughs) Well, um, he said, Gandalf is 7,000 years old, so why would anybody say I'm too old to play the part? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. And that is the whole reason I wanted to mention that. Okay. Wait, is he actually, is that the right age? I have no idea. I thought he was, cl- it was like maybe 3,000, not 7, but it doesn't matter. That sounds more right. I don't actually know. I All I know is that Ian McKellen said that on a talk show. I don't know if it's correct or not. He was around at the beginning of the creation of Middle Earth, wasn't he? He's been around a while. What? What's the... Not the Maiar. He is a Maiar. Oh, he's a Maiar. Okay, so Maiar. the Valar are above the Maiar. Yes. But the Maiar were present at the creation, weren't they? Yes. Okay. So, so that seems... Yeah. I don't know if he's been in wizard form the whole time Mm, no i don't think he has and maybe he's talking about when he gained his physical body i don't know yeah when he descended to the that plane i don't know yeah anyway that is beyond the scope of this episode right by which i mean i don't know the answer (laughs) (laughs) so the last jedi yes sound the spoiler finn awakening we are now going to discuss the last jedi We have nothing to say about this movie that is not in some way a spoiler. If you haven't seen it, please stop listening. I'm trying to think of a quote to segue. It's just not coming to me. I'll hold. (laughs) That was exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Okay. I think they've left now. Um, So, what did you guys think of the movie? Um, I don't really know where this ranks in my list of star Wars movies. Definitely not in the top four, uh, but definitely above the, probably above the force awakens. Um, 
I had a higher opinion of it after leaving the theater, but ever since then, thinking more about it, it's kind of gotten worse. I had a really hard time deciding what I thought of this movie. I enjoyed it when I first saw it and then started thinking about it and my opinion started going down. And then I ended up being able to see it a second time because I had a gift card for a different theater where I had not been able to get seats on opening night. And I liked it more after seeing it a second time. Overall, I think my opinion is positive right now. Whereas initially I was kind of going back and forth. I wasn't even sure if I liked it better than the force awakens. Um, now I can definitely say I like it better than the force awakens. It has its flaws, but overall, um, it's not what I might have hoped for, especially not what I might've hoped for before the force awakens came out, but I can say overall, I liked it. Matthew, what was your overall impression? I, am probably slightly different in that, that when I watched it, I had an overall positive impression of it and thought it was easily better than The Force Awakens. But um, I don't know. I liked it in that it... And again, this is probably where it turns into the retrospective on how we feel about Force Awakens. I liked how much of it was just kind of completely throwing out stuff from force awakens in that, like um, specifically the way they treated the whole Snoke thing. Like there was so much endless speculation on Snoke or Snorp, whatever his name was spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, it was just treated with like this huge level of importance. And this movie just basically said, doesn't matter, threw it out. And that endeared the movie to me quite a bit which I think annoyed a lot of other people because they were the ones building it up in their head that it was going to be this big, awesome thing. And kind of almost one of the themes of the movie was like, let's break these cycles we're building for ourselves in a lot of ways. So I thought that some of the moves it made in those regards did a good job of actually playing out that theme, but then it, I don't know, dispelled a lot of fan expectation or certain fan expectations, which caused people to not like it because they had invested a lot of useless energy into that. I don't know. What do you think of that? Dustin, do you have thoughts? I don't. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Full disclosure, I started writing a list of alternate names to use for whatever his name is. Spork. Yeah. Spork? Spark. (laughs) Um, Okay, Matthew, in response to what you said, I'm really torn by those aspects of the movie because on the one hand, from the beginning with this trilogy, I wanted them to do something different. And so I'm glad that they're doing something different. And I'm glad that they're throwing out a lot of the things that I didn't like from The Force Awakens. But at the same time, it's frustrating because um, it makes me feel like they really didn't know what they were doing with the force awakens even more so than before. So in a way it's, (laughs) well, what I've been saying before is I wasn't crazy about the force awakens, but I was going to try to give it a pass until we had one or two more movies because the additional movies would show us 
what was going on behind the scenes and how they were going to explain how the force awakens is actually a good story. Um, (laughs) so now my impression is that true to form as he often does, JJ Abrams set some things up and didn't know how they were going to pan out. (laughs) So (laughs) from, from one perspective, you can say the last Jedi subverted the expectation of what was going to happen with Snoke and instead immediately tore him down so that Kylo could rise up as the main villain. But at the same time, I have a really hard time thinking that that subversion was not intended from the beginning. I think it was merely the correction of a mistake because it just feels like they really didn't know what they were doing with Snoke. And I've heard people mention that, for instance, we didn't know who Palpatine was in the original trilogy when it came out. But the difference is we have a lot of prior events now. So it doesn't make sense that we'd have six movies worth of material over all those decades. And then this guy rises up to bring the empire out of the ashes. And he's apparently a powerful force user, even though we've been told before that there were only two Sith. So he's not Sith, but there, there are many good reasons that we should expect to know who he is. Um, he even says in the novelization that he saw the empire rise and fall. So he's been around longer than the empire. It's obvious in the movies themselves that Luke and Han and Leia knew who Snoke was even before Kylo, well, even before Ben became Kylo, Mm -hmm. because they talk about Snoke winning him over and seducing him and stuff. So it's like, I, I really feel like there are all kinds of good reasons that fans should expect to be told who that is in some way. And... I'm glad for the story to go in an unexpected direction, but I'm not happy that I don't feel like they had it planned out. And that applies to a few other points as well. But Snoke is kind of the elephant in the room. I can understand that viewpoint, but by the, um, I guess I never took him seriously to any great degree. So the fact that they dispensed with him in almost a sense of how I was taking him overall, like, personally matches up well with me but I again I get what you're saying and that is frustrating because it does give that sense of like a rudderless boat just going whichever way a strong breeze will take it my impression is that they gave the directors way too much leeway to determine the story of each movie which it's good for the directors to have freedom but I'm just not sure how well the story team mapped things out from the start because from some of the interviews and stuff, it sounds like Ryan Johnson was surprised by how little of a framework they gave him to work with. Like, they gave him kind of a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to get too stuck too much on that. But I think one of the, maybe the main reason that the Snoke stuff bothers me is that um, that the movies don't really give any explanation of the political situation in the galaxy. Yeah, that's still kind of a sticking point. Yeah, and so after Return of the Jedi, we know that the purpose of the Rebel Alliance was to restore the Republic. And um, there's also kind of the expectation that Luke was going to develop a Jedi Temple. We know basically what happened with the Jedi Temple. 
kind of. Um, and we know that they did restore the Republic. And we know that there were some old Imperials out there who somehow managed to come back together. But beyond that, we don't really know how they got, we don't know how they became so well funded. <laughs> right. Or why there was such a powerful force user lurking in the shadows that we didn't know about. Well, if there's one thing that this movie has taught us, it's that anyone can use the force. Or not just this movie, but these new movies. Kind of a point. So it doesn't have to be someone important. It could just be, I don't know, some kid that's cleaning up stables on a gambling pl- planet. So I'm not sure I'm following your meaning. I'm just saying that that that's a frustration I have. I don't know. That in the framework of these movies, basically anyone can use the force and do it well without training. So in the framework of these movies, okay, so why should we expect uh, Woke to be anyone important? So, so Snoke doesn't need to have any sort of lineage that he's coming from in terms of blood or tradition or training. Is that your point? Yeah, based in the framework of these two movies. Like, maybe there's no story about Snoke, because he could have just been some guy who was like, I feel super evil and super tuned into the Force today. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, Kylo, he just rolled over on the wrong side of the bed one night. (laughs) Pretty much true. Well, I mean, Kylo at least came from the New Jedi Order. Right. And a lineage. But I just... I'm just saying... In the framework of these movies, it's not a requisite. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. So I, sorry, what are you saying is a good thing? I'm not saying it's a good thing, but in the framework of these two movies, it doesn't seem to be a requisite a- aspect of okay force users. Okay, so I've got a question for you because this, this makes me think of Ratatouille. Uh huh. Anyone can cook. Anyone can cook is the the line that the chef gives throughout the movie. And then at the end, he says, I've come to realize that it's not that anyone can cook. It's that a good cook can come from anywhere. So which do you think it is here? A, anyone can use the force or a good force user can come from anywhere? Probably it should be. I think it should be the latter but i think dustin's afraid that the way the movie's presenting it almost comes off like the former yeah so you think the movie's making it look like anyone can cook yes i do okay yeah that was my question with the stable boy at the end because i think some people are going to be throwing around theories about how he's gonna be important in a later movie but um i doubt it i don't think that's gonna happen i think it's just gonna be that was meant to be a symbol to the audience, but like you just said, I don't know if it's a symbol that there are force users everywhere or that just anybody can do it. <laughs> and I don't know if we'll get an answer. Yeah. It's like the the top and inception. I guess we'll just argue about it forever. <laughs> no, that was pretty clearly what was no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um okay, we let's see. Should we talk about what we liked? That will be a short list. Before we go. For me. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, really? I thought there was some. uh, Okay. I think, I think Matthew and I liked some more things maybe, but. Right. Okay. So 
let me explain that. The several of the things I liked lead into or have turned into things I don't like upon further reflection. So I'll let you guys go ahead. So I'm going to, I'll go with something. Yeah. Let's go with Matthew since he's not immediately going to take it back to the (laughs) bad part. Um, so the thing that, and maybe this does lead into something Dustin absolutely dislikes. A thing that I thought was a pretty strong, um, a strong point was that they did a lot of, world building detail that like star Wars is supposed to be this really bit big, rich universe. And they kind of sort of did that with environmental stuff in the force awakens, but not so much on, I don't know, details. And so like on this, you've got a lot of the details in specifically like animal designs that they didn't have to do, but they spent a lot of time obviously building up. And I just liked all the animals. I guess that's a roundabout way of saying I enjoy animals, including the sea cows. I found that amusing when they, the way they did it and even had Luke just giving like this, like, ha ha, I'll show you what it takes to survive on this crappy island. I found that immensely disturbing. I did too. (laughs) It was supposed to be disturbing, but at the same time, it was supposed to be kind of like, he's showing her like, this is immensely disturbing, isn't it? You think you can survive here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was specific. I couldn't figure out if he was trying to offer her milk or scare her off of milk forever. I think it was actually the latter in the guise of the former. Okay. Um, but he, just, I don't know. I enjoyed the commitment to showing animals off. And there were plenty of times like, I want a silver crystal fox or I want a, I want a pork. This is the first Star Wars movie to feature the issue of animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. It's a point. I appreciated that. I liked the freeing of the cat horses. Cat horses. Yeah, I couldn't figure out what I thought those looked like. At first, I thought they looked like giant space goats because <laughs> of the ears. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely agree with Matthew. I liked all the animals. Except the I didn't like the sea cow, but I liked most of the animals. The sea cows were a little puzzling, like, why are you sitting there and letting him steal your milk? Should that not be for your young? You seem okay with it. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, he's been there for years and has force tamed them or something. Is force taming a thing? Yes. Oh. <laughs> is that what they were doing at the racetrack? It is featured in Attack of the Clones. Remember when Anakin calms down the, the rhino thing? I'm going to be honest with you. I've blocked out most of that movie. Well, it's featured in Attack of the Clones. Anakin calms down a large beast so that he can ride it. You could probably literally tell me anything about that movie, and I would almost believe you. You could say, like, Ultron showed up, and I'd be like, "Mm, sounds right. Let's move on. (laughs) A young boy has his father brutally murdered in front of him, Mm -hmm. and then sits there holding the severed head. Yeah, that's pretty. As he contemplates the terror of existence. I do remember that part, actually. (laughs) But they were kind of... A bunch of jerks. Anyway, oh, yeah. Okay, so that is another... Uh, can I do a thing I like? Sure. I liked some things that Luke said, including um, what Dustin just alluded to about the Jedi being jerks. <laughs> um, no, I was talking about although not in the, the Mandalorians, but that's okay. Oh, I thought you meant the people who murdered the father were jerks. No. Okay, the Mandalorians. Um... You might want to watch Rebels before calling them all jerks because they will kill you to defend their honor. I wasn't calling all of them jerks. I was calling those two jerks. 
they were kind of jerks in that, in that movie. Oh, those two. Sure. That's fair. Um, (laughs) okay. That's probably enough about attack of the clones. Um, my thing that I liked, um, Luke said a couple things that I have been trying to tell people for a long time. One of those is the force is not something you have and it's not like a superpower. Um, I don't usually push that too much because it's innocent enough that people will be discussing characters. And for instance, after the force awakens came out, they would debate whether or not they thought Finn had the force. And I don't think I actually would do this, but I would, I don't think I would say anything, but I would think you mean force sensitive, but they would be saying has the force or is a Jedi and clearly he hasn't had any training. And anyway, that's not a huge deal. The other thing is um, he explicitly called out some of the subtext that people miss from the prequels, which is that the prequels are the story of how the Jedi fell because they became too proud. I think a lot of people watch the prequels and they see the Jedi leading armies and they don't necessarily realize what a significant part of their fall that is. Um, But I would say that in Attack of the Clones, which I just said I wouldn't talk about anymore, when they ride into Geonosis, the Jedi ride into Geonosis at the head of an army as generals, I would say that that is the moment the Jedi fell. Um, that is the moment their fall began because they were never meant to be militant like that. Um, granted, they've fought wars at various times, Um but for the most part, the Republic did not have a standing army. And in episode one, Qui-Gon even said the explicit words, I can't fight a war for you. Um, but then in Attack of the Clones, they forgot that. And then by Revenge of the Sith, they were completely destroyed because of it. And Luke calls that out in explicit terms and says that that's why they fell, because they became too proud. I don't think that anybody will hear that and appreciate the prequels anymore for it, but I can pretend that they will. <laughs> so aren't the Jedi supposed to be like the cosmic peacekeeping force? Not uh, force is the wrong word in this situation. Uh, body. They are the guardians of peace and justice. Yes. Okay. Guardians of peace. Let's start a war. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even, um, Yoda says, for instance, in The Empire Strikes Back, a Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. Right. You see the opposite of that. And yet people still just think that Jedi are action heroes, but Yoda made it very clear from when he was first introduced as a character that that's not what the Jedi are supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And then um, even at the, the cave, when Luke goes into the cave on Dagobah, um, Anyway, I'm digressing. No, that's related. Okay, so... I mean, maybe not to what we're talking about right now, but it's related to this movie. Yeah. Um, When he goes into the cave on Dagobah, he senses the cave. He asks what it is. Yoda explains it's a cave. The dark side of the force is powerful in there. um, Because there's like a tree. uh, Like a dark side tree or something. Um, (laughs) And Luke asks what's in there. Yoda says, only what you take with you. Luke, like an idiot, immediately picks up his weapons. And Yoda says, 
Leave your weapons. You will not need them. Luke, like an idiot, takes them in. (laughs) And that is his failure at the cave. He takes his weapons and all of his fear and everything into that cave and sees that he is on the path to become what Darth Vader is. Uh, Contrast that with the cave scene on Octo in (laughs) The Last Jedi. I have no idea what happened in there. Do you guys? Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, No, like I'm trying to square it with how Kylo Ren ended up saying things like, oh, your parents were no one and that Rey was like... if it was kind of like playing into a fear and you're bringing your fear in, her fear was that she was utterly alone. So then when she looked into who her parents were, it was just her because she can't see any, like, I don't know, maybe that's what they were trying to do. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just really not sure. I guess so. It was kind of a trippy sequence mm-hmm. and the meaning did not seem as clear as the one in Empire Strikes Back. And I'm, I'm glad that they're not just mirroring the old movies. <laughs> Mirror. But at the same time, I don't a mirroring cat. Um, but I mean, they still kind of hit that same story beat, even if they're not completely 100% mirroring it. Yeah, they hit the story beat, and I have no idea what they were getting at with it. But yeah, I don't know. There were definitely elements of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But almost more as an homage. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Homage, no. <laughs> And not a derivation like in The Force Awakens. Mm. So, um, yes, there are walkers marching on a base, but it's not exactly the same thing happening. It's not even the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's salt, not snow. Yeah. And (laughs) so there were several things that obviously hearkened to the older movies, but I didn't think it was done in an overbearing way in this movie. And more significantly, they hit points from both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which I think sets them up nicely to not do that at all in Episode Nine, Except for the fact that J.J. Abrams is back. <sighs> yes. We have Scows, which are Ewoks spelled backwards. Scows? With an S added. <laughs> um, Ewok is actually Wookiee backwards. What? Did you know that? Ewok. E-W-O-K. The Ewoks were originally supposed to be Wookiees. Okay. So they changed it's... the spelling of Wookiee. But that's where they came up with the name Ewok. Okay. Yes. I'll take that. I guess, okay, yeah. I guess it's not backwards exactly. It's a shuffling. But yeah, the Ewoks were originally supposed to be Wookiees. And they couldn't do it budget-wise. So they went with the Ewoks. <laughs> this is the Wookiee nursery. <laughs> i wonder maybe that is it was just going to be the wookie nursery until an ill-informed set designer included a baby ewok (laughs) and then they were like oh i guess all the rest of these are adults now (laughs) that would have been really hardcore if the wookie nursery took out the the, children (laughs) took out the empire (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, imagine we could do with a whole planet of these now. <laughs> Adults. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am concerned about J.J. Abrams doing episode nine because he is better at creating questions than answers. I think he created a lot of questions in The Force Awakens that he was hoping somebody else would answer. 
I commend Ryan Johnson for simply saying, nah, <laughs> I'm going to move past that. <laughs> um, but I'm really worried about the fact that JJ is coming back to probably open up 20,000 more questions in the last episode that are also not going to have answers. Meanwhile, I hope the story team is finding a skilled author to explain what Snoke's deal is to me. <laughs> Maybe Snoke will appear as a force, you know, hopefully not. Um, also being cut in half is not a death sentence in the star Wars universe. <laughs> I was expecting him to, weren't they looking at his lifeless, uh, open his eyes or something. Yeah. I kept wondering if something was going to happen, especially when Hux came back and was looking at him. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it didn't, but Darth Maul, after getting chopped in half in The Phantom Menace, plays a prominent role in both The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> First, he is, uh, he has like a robotic spider for the lower half of his body. And then he gets like ostrich legs. And then he finally gets like regular robot human legs. He has a surprisingly interesting arc as well. They actually pull it off really well, but I certainly hope they don't do that with Snoke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you guys notice uh, Hux in the, I don't know, throne room? Is that what we would call it? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if Hux is a bigger deal than we realize because um, when he was looking at Toke laying in two pieces and then he looked at Kylo Ren on the floor. Kylo was unconscious and he started to move aside his jacket and like reach toward his belt and like a holster or something. And then like almost immediately Kylo Ren stirs and he let go of his jacket. And I kind of saw that as like, I was expecting him to pull out a lightsaber. I thought for a second it was, but I, don't know if I got a good enough look at what was going on. I d- we didn't see it was a blaster. Well, we didn't. Di- did you see something? You can tell it's a blaster. Oh, I didn't think we saw anything. I was looking really close the second time. Um, cause I had heard somebody ask that question and it's a, a good thought, but, um, I'm pretty sure it was a blaster. Okay. Like 98% sure. I didn't see anything. I just saw him close his jacket before we saw what he was reaching for. Um, but I'm open to being wrong. I've seen it only once. Well, even if it was a blaster, maybe I'm wrong and he can cook. <laughs> well, then I was thinking maybe he is the real poke and, <laughs> and not toke. <laughs> like the real, uh, what, what do they call it? Supreme leader? Yeah. Coke. Okay. Maybe he's the puppet master. Maybe the manifestation of Splork that we're used to is actually just a force projection. Ooh, maybe. There you go. Playing the long game. Mm-hmm. So the phrase that has defined the Star Wars fandom since The Force Awakens has been, your Snoke theory sucks. We can continue in that vein, or we can just move on to Snoke sucks. I personally would be in favor of moving on but i don't know it's fun to throw around crazy theories knowing like i enjoy throwing around stupid theories sometimes 
my favorite theory going into the last Jedi was that the, the red crystal planet from the trailer was in fact the new manifestation of Darth Maul who was still alive <laughs> even after being killed for a final time in rebels. Um, because living planets, sentient planets are not unprecedented <laughs> neither in star Wars nor in the public conscious because that trailer came out right after guardians too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Alas, it was not so well. We don't know that yet. <laughs> well, he's yeah, he's playing the long game if, that's the case so matthew what's another thing you liked about the movie um i'm sure this has polarizing opinion on some regards i enjoyed luke skywalker and especially just it did a good job of melding how i perceived him to be a grumpy old man with still a large degree of like he should be a fairly masterful force user at this point and they ended up pulling that off i think did you think they pulled it off, Dustin? They pulled off the grumpy old man. Yes. Um, I guess he's masterful to be able to project his image across the galaxy. Let's put it this way. If he, I mean, I think that shows a more mature Jedi approach than if he had shown up in person and just force flattened everything, because that's what he was railing against in a way like the way that the Jedi just became the head of an army. Like he avoided doing that, but didn't avoid becoming the symbol of being a symbol that people needed him to be. You are approaching my favorite point of the movie. Why don't you go into that? My single favorite thing about this movie is something that I didn't even piece together until a while after seeing it. But the through line for Luke Skywalker has been preserved in a way I didn't even notice at first. And that is the thread of nonviolence. Granted in the first movie, he kills 300,000 people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's also before he meets Yoda and before he really does any training. Mm. Um, And that movie is more of a straight up action movie, Mm. but beginning with the empire strikes back, he meets Yoda expecting to learn how to become a great warrior. And when he asks about that, the first thing Yoda tells him is wars, not make one great. Um, followed by the things I've already touched on about not taking his weapons into the cave and um, all that. And then he doesn't listen at first. He goes and he tries to fight Darth Vader and it gets him nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes things worse. And then in Return of the Jedi, he almost turns to the dark side. The moment where he overcomes Darth Vader and chops off his hand, he notices what's happening just in time. And he throws his lightsaber away. And he says, no, I will not fight you. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And that, like that moment where he refuses to fight is the moment he really becomes a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And that's what defines his whole arc for me. Um, as Matthew points out the way that he stands down the first order, he doesn't even, he doesn't scratch anybody. Even he shows up and he looks like he has a weapon. He looks like he's there, but he doesn't actually kill anybody, much less hurt anybody. He, 
appears to even possibly be sparing Kylo emotional harm by not letting him kill his master. And he lit- he literally stands down an army without actually doing any violence. That's about as nonviolent as you can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's easy to even miss that. Even knowing he wasn't there, it's easy to miss that that's what's happening, I think. Um, because of what it looks like at first when it, like, when you're watching it, it's not real clear. Um, I mean, there's some things like the footprints and the fact that he has the the blue lightsaber and everything, but it still looks like he's there to fight, even though he's not. Um, so the final point of this, um, when he holds the lightsaber over Kylo's bed and briefly thinks about killing him, in that moment, he does not know the things that make for peace. He thinks about killing Ben, and he turns him into Kylo Ren by doing that. And essentially creates years and years of problems for the galaxy by doing that. He causes the deaths of billions of people by doing that. Um, I don't know. It's possible the whole Starkiller thing and a lot of other stuff would happen anyway. But point is, he creates Kylo Ren by doing that. But... Did he create Kylo Ren? He said he was already won over by uh, Snoke at that point. He said that, but it's also very common in Star Wars for them to point out how hard it is to see the future and how unreliable prophecy is. So he saw that, but would it have happened if he hadn't responded to it? Or did it happen because he saw it and responded to it? I didn't interpret that as him seeing the future. I thought it was him reading his thoughts. That is possible. I'm I'm not 100% sure, but my main point on that is it's entirely possible that that is the last time that Luke ever used a lightsaber. He briefly held the lightsaber when Rey handed it to him. And threw it away. <laughs> And threw it away, but we don't know of him ever using a lightsaber after that moment. So it's possible that he entirely swore off the whole thing after that. I mean, he did swear off a lot of aspects of the Jedi religion, but it seems like laying down the lightsaber forever might have been a part of that. It's interesting. Then I feel like that creates a weird, I don't know, a weird narrative component in that they make a whole thing like oh the lightsaber wanted you to find him like it's they almost described like a consciousness tied into the force on the part of the lightsaber and i was like i don't even know what that means in the way we're examining the story yeah it does seem like they we often hear about the will of the force so it seems like the force has a will in some way whatever that means what what about that doesn't work for you um just that if you're looking at it from like i guess a symbolic level if he's forsworn violence why is a tool of violence seeking him out or having someone seek him out yeah yeah that's a good point it's also weird that that aspect is happening in a franchise called star wars yeah, which largely focuses around violent action. But so, yeah, I don't know 
if that's ever going to show up again in the franchise, but it does seem to be the through line for Luke Skywalker for me, Hmm. at least. That makes sense. That seems to be what Yoda is telling him. At the very least, it's a big thing for Yoda and Luke. But yeah, I ended up liking him to a greater degree than I thought I was going to in this. And I feel like it would have been altogether too easy to have a movie where you came back and you just had, here's this Jedi Master, he's out of retirement. Now he's going to lay down the herd on all these bad guys. I don't know, I felt like they didn't do that, and I liked that. Yeah. Walking into the movie, I found myself half wondering if he was going to pull the Star Destroyer down onto the First Order or something on the planet. Although, I mean, more of them are on the Star Destroyer than on the planet. But I think I was wondering about that because of our prior discussion about it hitting a planet. Oh, yeah. And I believe, I haven't read it, but I believe there is a Legends book in which Luke and Leia work together to pull down a super Star Destroyer, an executor class Star Destroyer. And so I had in my mind, I know that Leia can't be in the next movie, so maybe they'll just take them both out by having them pull down a mega Star Destroyer in their heads or something. I'm not saying I would have liked it. I just found myself wondering if it would happen. I did want to ask, now that we're talking about um, ships and everything, how did you feel about the um, the scene where Ellie went to, I can't remember what her name was in the thing, so she has to go by her Jurassic Park name, um, where Ellie went to Lightspeed. That was one of my favorite parts, actually. Uh, partly because I just liked the, I liked the visuals of it, and I was, I thought she was just going to ram it in, like, at slow speed, but then I was thinking she should do a hyperspace jump. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I kind of cheered inside whenever she did that. I had that thought part of the way through. Like they're acting like they're defenseless. She's got one big shot in the cannon if she really wants it. And then when they did it, I was like, oh, they did that. I was not expecting them to actually do that. Mm-hmm. I appreciated the way that was, sh- not, I guess, not shot because it's probably all entirely um, CGI. But the way they. <laughs> Where was the camera? How did you take this picture? <laughs> The way they framed the shot, I guess, would be the term in that... The way it was done visually? Yeah, the visual framing of it, um, in that they relied almost entirely on that and cut the sound rather than having a bunch of... Yeah. In a way, it was almost like an anti... Like this huge thing that built up where the story was going and they didn't have a giant explosion going along with it. Which I feel like is almost a thing that a lot of Star Wars tends to have big explosions. Like, it's just because of the legacy of A New Hope, people expect a big explosion. So it was nice that they had a climactic moment without that. Yeah. It allowed the scene to carry more of itself on its own strength, which was pretty spectacular looking. I don't know. How did you feel about that, Trevor? As soon as I realized it was going to happen, I thought... This is amazing. And it did not disappoint. I immediately thereafter started to wonder what the implications were for the mechanics of the universe. Um, Just because of the different rules about gravity wells pulling things out of hyperspace and such. Um, But upon further reflection, 
that was one way more cool than anything in the force awakens mm-hmm. and two actually raises far less questions. <laughs> so I could probably think of at least six things off the top of my head that create more questions about the rules and mechanics of the world than that does. So um, I'm totally in favor of it, despite whatever questions it might raise. What questions does it raise? Gravity wells will pull things out of hyperspace. So for instance, if a ship goes near a planet, it would be pulled out by the gravity well of the planet or there are interdictor star destroyers, interdictor cruisers that project gravity wells for the purpose of immobilizing ships. I see. So, and it seems like a ship as big as Splurks would have enough gravity to do that. It's, yeah, okay. I was thinking, to me, gravity well is like black hole, but you're talking about just a massive object. Even a planet would be enough. Okay. I hadn't. I don't know exactly where the cutoff is. A planet would definitely be enough, though. I hadn't thought about it before, but the the idea of um, Snorp ship going at light speed is utterly terrifying. Just like that massive of an object accelerated to that speed. I feel like if it hit anything, it would just annihilate the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Death Star can go through hyperspace, too. That's also terrifying. I didn't, I was wondering, I was thinking about that. I was like, did it go? And then I thought there was some limitation on its speed that it couldn't quite do that. But that's also terrifying. Well, in the card game, its hyperspeed limit was one. (laughs) Whereas everything else had like three or more. I mean, going even at a fraction of light speed with something in that mass category is it, 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 with much more mass, it could. You mess that up, you're going to have problems. (laughs) With, yeah, I don't know. Just with that much mass you could be going slower and still hit with the same energy yeah correct me if i'm wrong mr physics (laughs) um the second question raised by holda is that her name i think it's something with an h and a d the second question raised by the hyperspace attack is why don't they do this more often well i mean it's just like set the autopilot to mm, do it it's a uh, (laughs) it's a fairly good way to lose your ships right yeah, I think they only had one of those. <laughs> well, yeah, I get what you're saying. Now they did, but yeah. yeah. Um, it's a question that people have had. Um, I think there are a number of practical considerations. Um, it's a very expensive missile. Right. And typically you don't want a victory quite that pyrrhic. Yeah, that one was... Well, I guess it wouldn't have to be inhabited. Like you said, the autopilot. Yeah. But you're up against an imperial war machine that can manufacture more ships, whereas you're a rebellion or a resistance. And Exactly. They can probably produce faster than you can. Right. Yeah. And then you're left with nothing. Yeah. Something I thought was interesting. Oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, wait. Hold on. The ship that pierced the giant Star Destroyer and several smaller ones, the one that was used in the hyperspace attack, I have learned that its name is Radis, after the Admiral in Rogue One. Oh, interesting. Courtesy of Radis's friend, Admiral Akbar. Oh, the one with the uh, hammerhead ship? The one who or orders the hammerhead okay. to do its thing. Okay. The one who is in the bigger ship overseeing the battle. Okay. The Moncal. Gotcha. Um, 
I thought he was like your favorite character in Rogue One. I've only seen Rogue One once. Or no, no, I'm thinking of the the fighter pilots. Or the ones that you said were like the British Air Force. Yes, they were like the RAF. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Radis is the the Mon Cal who oversees the battle, the space battle of Scarif. Can I throw in um, a very small aside that's not exactly 100% Star Wars? Is it Star Trek related? Do what you must. Just in Dustin, I just thought of something that Dustin... Um, it's Marvel related, but I feel like it's important now that Dustin expressed admiration for the RAF. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, if they, uh, if they had not botched Jarvis by making him an AI instead of a butler, hit part of Jarvis's backstory was that he, when he was a human butler, as he is in the actual comics, he was in the RAF. Nice. The end. That's all. I'm... There's a. Oh, wait, he's in that. That's totally his thing in um the Peggy Carter though. Yeah, there's a human Jarvis and Peggy Carter. Yeah, so he's still got that. Okay. I don't, Dustin hasn't. Basically, there's a human Jarvis and then there's an AI Jarvis that's named after him. But the, in the comics, the regular Jarvis is hanging around with the Avengers as opposed to being decades before them. Okay. Okay, the end. What did you think of the walkers, Dustin? Oh, yeah. That was my first thought was, I wonder what Dustin thinks of these. I didn't even have a thought of my own. I was just like, I don't know what <laughs> Dustin's opinion is. Um. So they have walkers in this movie. And I know that with Rogue One, I said, they've got walkers that automatically puts it in the top. Um, But I feel like I'm breaking my rule with this. There were walkers in The Force Awakens too. They just were in a, at a distance. These walkers made me think of gorillas. Um, I don't understand their front feet. I'm sure they have some kind of purpose i don't know they they looked interesting they were unique um they pummeled uh luke's force projection but uh, i don't know i don't have a lot of thoughts actually they didn't really do much battle yeah that's kind of what i'm i was gonna that's kind of what i was getting at but at the same time they shot at some of the skid speeders but yeah they took out some rusty speeders and they shot at luke's force projection but they didn't even get to shoot at the door they weren't really intimidating like they they weren't being projected as being intimidating to the rebellion or the resistance that's true but they had to have a kind of hoth thing going on right so they had to have kind of did you notice that there was one regular old school atat i did not Oh, man. I think it was there for scale. I honestly think it was there just to show the audience how big the new ones were. Because it was about half the size. And I swear, it did not fire a single shot when they were pummeling Luke. It just stood there. It was an AT-AT, not an ATST. It was an AT-AT. I didn't see whenever um, Ray... No, not Ray. When Finn was running away from his little contraption... I was thinking those AT whatevers don't look that big. Like they don't look big enough as compared to in the battle of Hoth. They just seem gargantuan. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did it, did either of you, did it feel like that scene where the rusty speeder buckets were charging took like five minutes and it was just like, there's not five minutes of distance between here and the walkers. (laughs) They're really slow speeders. Yeah, well, I guess they were super old, but it was just like, it kept going on, and I was like, should they have been there, like, twice now? Like, 
I don't. I, it did seem kind of drawn out. And granted, that goes into, um, well, just yeah, other stuff. I had a, I had a hard time deciding whether I was going to snarkily call that battle, the Battle of Hoth Deep, or the Battle of the Hothenor Fields. I'm glad you said that because I thought this reminds me of Helm's Deep, but then it all. <laughs> And it kind of, I guess, plays that story beat in a different sense. Like, it plays that almost better than the Hoth thing. Because they're like, we'll retreat to a fortress that has served our people well in the past. <laughs> but then they have a giant battering ram, like, at the Pelennor Fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that this, now, just thinking of who was involved in there, it made me think, I wanted to throw out that, um, in terms of new characters that were introduced, I really liked Rose. I was not expecting them to <laughs> introduce. Do you not like her? No, it's just <sighs> carry on. I just wasn't expecting them really to introduce more new people. And when they introduced her, I was like, oh, this is, I don't know. I was enjoying her, especially as a foil to Finn being kind of an idiot. <laughs> I like her more than Finn or Poe. Yeah. That's not a high bar. Well, I did until the end. Okay, so my complaint, hmm, Finn is driving his skid speeder into the battering ram, and I am thinking, yes, Finn, do it. Do it, Finn. Come on. Do it. Do it. (laughs) And then she just comes out of nowhere, and I'm like, what the frack, Rose? (laughs) He was about to (laughs) ram into the ram, (laughs) And first of all, how the heck did you catch up with him? Because he's just continuing on a straight line, but you all peeled That's back, my biggest question. And somehow you you found a little extra gear in that thing and were able to loop a- ahead of him and then come at the side. Like you had to get a lot of a lot of headway. Have you met Finn? He's pretty ridiculously ineffectual at everything he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my theory. One, that is pretty dumb that she was able to catch up with him. Two, why is the blast melting his ship, but not him who is sitting in an open cockpit? I Three, my actual theory that is attempting to show some grace to the people who made these decisions, perhaps somehow the force of the blast that's melting the ship, but not him, is slowing him down. Like he's his ship is straining against the force of the blast, and that's why she's able to catch up with him again. Okay. It makes no sense. I'm not saying that's a good theory. I'm just saying maybe, maybe. Still, what the frack? Let him do it. Because what was your plan anyway? You have this battering ram. You have these crappy skid speeders that apparently <laughs> don't even have blasters. You're just driving around with the red smoke trail so everyone can see where you are. This is the worst plan ever. And then what are you going to do with I, the, ba- the battering that's ram? Posed. You're just going to drive into it? I mean, that... That's Poe's planning on display once right. again. Load a bunch of people into vehicles, drive them to their deaths, celebrate. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten them think, this far. <laughs> I think she pushed him out of the way because she realized, wait, this isn't even a plan. <laughs> what My question is, what even happens when he gets to the battering ram? I just imagine him driving in, being subsumed, and <laughs> I mean, the battering ram continues. <laughs> like Nothing happens. Obviously, their aluminum craft melts and clogs the projector beam of whatever this battering ram is. I don't know what their plan was, but 
he was going to carry it out. You should let the guy do it. See, my thought, <laughs> even after Poe realized it wasn't. I the mean, plan. Finn. I was I was all for Finn at that point. Go Finn. But see, save th- the rebellion, the resistance. Sorry, I keep saying the rebellion. Save the dream. My thought was that he conformed a character in that he did absolutely nothing, and like the whole movie, he didn't do any. He like he was present. Well, he learned from the best. <laughs> I assume Phasma trained him. Yeah, because Phasma <laughs> also did nothing. But the only thing he kind of did something was when he faced off against her because they're both terrible at doing anything. So <laughs> she's just a little less terrible. So like even when he tried to commit suicide and victoriously saved the rebellion, couldn't even do that. Just he I don't know why he's in the like he's not doing anything narratively. So where was this little skid speeder to knock the admiral out of doing the hyperspace jump like she sacrificed herself no one's tried to stop her they're like oh yeah let her go she's way better than finn unfortunately rose was busy helping the space goats at that point the space goats no she wasn't the fathers on canto bite no no she wasn't no no she was on that one of the transports being bombarded was she oh okay that's right. Because that's how, yeah. Rose should have just taken her transport. She was flying the transport too, wasn't she? I don't remember that part. I think she was. I think she was. I could be wrong. Let's say Rose was on the transport. She should have seized the controls, turned it around, caught up with the cruiser, and pushed it out of the way before it jumped into hyperspace. I mean, you get a lot of fancy flying skills from fixing pipes in the corsair and then yelled across the void of space to admiral holdo vice admiral holdo i saved you dummy save the things we love <laughs> did the whole going to canto by to get the master code breaker subplot make any like oh no they were doing that i was like you don't have enough time for this how did you get away from the like why don't we just <laughs> shuttle everyone away from the the fleet then if we're going to take two people and a droid and a shuttle and get away unnoticed why don't you just come back repeatedly yeah and wasn't she in charge of like stopping people from jumping ship and now there's no one watching that like how many people jump <laughs> ship i don't know she probably saved dozens of lives by not keeping them from escaping anymore seriously um i do think that the issue of them going somewhere and getting back could make sense because the issue was they could they didn't have enough hyperspace fuel for everybody i don't know um it seems like their fuel was just their fuel you consume more of it in hyperspace jumps but which i thought this was something i found interesting whenever they were loading up in the very beginning and they said uh grab sea bunker and get in the transport i was like oh these things have fuel i didn't know that ships in the star wars universe used fuel and this is the first time oh, okay. ever anywhere that I'm aware of. It needed to be a plot point, so, you know. It, it, I mean, it, it is a, rec- um, a necessary part of the Battlestar Galactica aspect of this point of the movie. And I enjoyed that, so. Oh, I did want to say that that whole, the whole, they find us as soon as we jump was like a 33 minutes thing, but condensed. And I was like, yeah. oh, are they just going to borrow this whole plot point? And I was kind of glad they didn't belabor that they just realized oh 
if we continue jumping, they're going to keep following us. So let's not do a series of never ending jumps. So they just did a sublight thing instead. But I, the only problem is that that first episode of Battlestar Galactica 33, the chase is so much better yeah. <laughs> than this is. Yeah. So I didn't want them to just copy it, but I did want them to make it as good as that. Yeah. Um, it, it also makes me wonder why some of those tiny little star destroyers that never do anything that are just hanging behind the mega star destroyer. Why don't some of them jump in front of the Rattus and attack it from the front as it's running away? Because this movie is replete with bad tactics. That's why. Okay. Cause like they literally have like a dozen star destroyers. They're very large, well-armored ships, well-armed ships, and they don't do anything except for sit behind the Mega Star Destroyer and get blasted. In the hyperspace jump. In the hyper, yeah. They hide behind the bigger ship the whole time, and they get destroyed anyway. Yeah. Look, the First Order has more ships than they do competent generals or admirals, whatever we call it, so they can't field really a good crew with all of them and some of them are just gonna you know essentially be warm bodies filling the seats who are gonna do exactly (laughs) what they're told and if that thing is hold the line they'll do it no questions asked since when is general hux able to command a fleet (laughs) is there any precedent for that in star wars a general being an admiral (laughs) no no that doesn't make any sense they okay so the first order is surprisingly well resourced in terms of their weapons being twice the size and having a much more plentiful supply of black paint. <laughs> um, but they are severely under resourced in terms of qualified personnel because they have somebody like Phasma running the Stormtrooper Corps, they have somebody like General Hux leading the fleet as matthew points out they don't apparently have any admirals um and the level of military professionalism if you compare the first order and the empire the empire i i would dare say the empire would absolutely crush the first order yes in any sort of military conflict even if you if you gave them equal resources yes even even just equal numbers of ships i would say if even though the first orders are twice the size i would say i would say if you matched them ship for ship then i think the empire would come out very much on top i think even if the empire was at a disadvantage you forgot to say someone like finn is a foot soldier (laughs) this is true too even if the empire was at a disadvantage they had at least competent people. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that, I guess, in the movies a whole lot. But you do, though. You they. I was just thinking of Tarkin. Many of them are somewhat unsung, but you still you see them, and they do things. Like there's, I mean, General Veers in The Empire Strikes Back, for instance, leading the attack on Hoth. He is far more professional than General Hux. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I was thinking uh, in that instant, I was thinking of the Admiral that brought them out of hyperspace too close to the planet and thus alerted the rebellion yeah. and they were able to raise yeah. their shields. And I think that 
hubris is a major downfall for both the Empire and the First Order, but it doesn't help that the First Order doesn't have any competence either. I would say that the hubris of the Empire is more deserved. Yeah. It's still their downfall, but in in their case, it's because there are factors they don't account for. Like, well, I guess that's the case in any situation where hubris is the downfall. Um, I don't know. It feels like their pride is more well-placed than the First Order's pride in themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, that if everything goes south, they'll be like, okay, we're going to um, tractor that ship in and we'll deploy Darth Vader. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In a special sneak preview of Infinity War, we are going to leave this conversation hanging with no resolution. You can hear part two in just a few days whenever I finish editing it. This has been part one, episode 25. You can find the show notes at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 25. Thanks for listening.